Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Now let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to John chapter 16 and pick up at verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the, Holy, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us now to set our minds on your word, to set our minds on our Savior Jesus. That you would bless every one of our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So we return back to the report we've been uh, studying, that we've been reading of Jesus' last few hours before, uh, his last few exhortations before his crucifixion. He and his men are on the road, right? Remember, they're, they're on the move during this time. He and his men are on the road as Jesus speaks with them, traveling toward a garden where he often met with his disciples. Uh, we read that in John 18 too. They end up in that garden. And the rest of chapter 16 will conclude his pre-crucifixion instructions to his men. Then chapter 17 is the record of that uh, high, what's known as the high priestly prayer of, of Christ. Then chapter 18 will turn to the events surrounding the trial and crucifixion of the Lord. So much of what Jesus, as you hopefully recall, Much of what Jesus has said to his men is focused on the coming work of the Holy Spirit. This makes sense as Jesus is going to leave them. He's going away. He's about to be crucified on a Roman cross to die, to rise again, appear then to his disciples for a few weeks, then ascend to the right hand of the Father where he will be and is now the ruler of both heaven and earth. There he reigns even now, and because he is departing, the third person of the Trinity, the eternal Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, will take the hands of these men and lead them to complete what is lacking in the afflictions of their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, 
though they would suffer greatly, most of them being martyred in various ways, the apostles would be filled with the Holy Spirit and change the course of history by preaching a resurrected Savior, a man who rose from the dead, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we've looked closely over, uh, I'm not sure how many sermons at this point, at these final exhortations and encouragements from the Son of God to these men. But there are some things, you know, he withholds from them. There are things that he could have told them that night that he says that they, they um, that he, he just he can't tell them. In our passage... Um, our passage goes on this morning and, and, and says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Right? He's got many more things to say to them. He, he, he's got more to download to them, but tonight they can't, they can't take it. They can't bear it. You know, we've all been informed of something that overwhelmed us when we heard it, right? It sort of just makes you uh, lose your mind. It can happen with both bad news and good news, right? A grandchild is born, a new job is offered to you, you know, a, a provision of the Lord comes in that, that you desperately needed and it comes in at the right time. But probably more memorable to us is the difficult news that we receive. It's strange that we talk about where we were when awful events in history took place. But we all do that. We all like mark in our brains, or it was marked in our brains, where we were when difficult things happened. We ask people what they remember about the day when President Kennedy was shot, right? Or when uh, the Challenger space shuttle exploded. Or, you know, certainly more recently when planes started flying into buildings on September 11th, 2001. We remember where we were, and we remember that everything was forced out of our brains during those moments. At those moments, it would have been uh, very difficult for us to bear any more difficult news, uh, even if it was less memorable. Imagine getting word of 9-11 attack, and then getting word that your firefighting husband was last seen going up into one of the Twin Towers. And now the tower fell. Uh, imagine someone simply intruding into your thoughts about some painful personal tragedy uh, with news that you had missed your, your car payment and the repo man was on his way. It'd be hard to compute, right? You get some personal tragedy comes to you and then somebody comes and says, you know, uh, your bills are late. You'd be like, okay, not something I'm going to think about. But on another day, you know, the repo man's coming might be alarming news. You know, it might spring you into action. Well, Jesus had called these men, think of it, to leave everything. He'd called them to leave everything, businesses, family, ease, comfort. He called them to leave all of that behind. And now he tells them after three very short years, I'm sure those years flew by, 
When you're with Jesus, the Son of God, those three years probably seemed like a, a couple weeks. But now he tells them after those three years, hey, I'm going away. I'm leaving you guys. He's tried to ease their minds by talking about the coming of the Helper, but, but they are likely just fixated on the fact that their beloved Savior is going away and leaving them. And not only has he told them that he was leaving them, but he's let them know that one of them will betray him. And then he's told Peter that he'll deny he knows Jesus three times before a rooster crows. And he's told them that the world is going to hate you just as it hated me. And he's told them that people will even seek to kill them as supposed acts of devotion to God. Oh, he's told them many glorious, happy, strengthening truths. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the greater works that they would do, the fruit that they would bear, the prayers that God would most certainly answer, and, and just the place that he's He's going ahead of them to prepare a place for them to live. But they, like you and me, are probably only focused on their losses. They're just focused on what they're about to lose. Their beloved, compassionate, miracle-working Jesus is leaving them. And so Jesus, aware of the overwhelming nature and the overwhelming, well, the overwhelming nature of the fear of their souls, aware of their weakness, leaves things unsaid that they cannot on that night bear. He doesn't tell them things that they needed to know. He just, he stops and waits. What are the many more things that Jesus wished to tell them, but that they cannot bear at that moment because of their overwhelming grief at their loss of him? Well, in one sense, Right, We know that Jesus did go on to teach them other things before he ascended to heaven. In those 40 days in which he appeared to the disciples after the resurrection, we're told about what he taught his disciples. Two men on the road to Emmaus get an amazing lesson from Jesus on how Christ is in every book of the Old Testament. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. But what of the eleven? Those guys weren't even apostles, and they got that lesson, right? But what of the eleven, those apostles? What did they learn from Jesus during those 40 days? Well, they learned that... um, They learned not by hearing and memorizing... They learned not by Jesus downloading information and them taking it in and memorizing it, but they learned by the very illumination of their minds by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Luke 24, 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Similar statement as to what he said to the men on Emmaus. He's like, all the scripture, all the fulfillments are in me, okay? Then he opened their minds to understand scripture, it says. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Think about that. Right at that moment, he's talking to them. Boom, he opens their minds and they understand the scriptures. And he said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So they get, they get minds illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand Scripture. And then Jesus tells them, but, but wait, you're going to get even more power. You're going to get more power than even just this understanding that came by illumination. I mean, that's an amazing thing. They had their minds open to understand Scripture. They learned about things already written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, starting in the big city of Jerusalem. They learned by supernatural power some glorious things that they just couldn't bear on the night before Jesus' death. They, Jesus withheld it from them. There's another way we can answer the question about what specific things the apostles couldn't bear to take in that night. We can answer that with a generic answer based upon the verses that immediately follow. They learned all the things the Spirit would teach them. And what specific things did the Spirit of God teach them? All the inspired, God-breathed truth written for us in the books of the New Testament. That's what they learned. The Spirit gave them all of this, which they handed on as a good deposit to us. That's what they picked up. The book of Acts outlining the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The content of Stephen's and Peter's and Paul's sermons right on those early days of the church, the various epistles written to the churches by the Apostle Paul and by Peter and by John and James, the brother of Jesus and others, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos by an angel from heaven. All the glorious truths of the New Testament scriptures were given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. All the content of the vast number of topics, think of what we learn in the New Testament. Salvation, sanctification, justification, glorification, marriage, child-rearing, assurance, food, fruitfulness, um, prayer, perseverance, widowhood, sex, uh, sexuality, faith, division, persecution, worship, church discipline. Um, singing, godliness, I mean, on and on and on and on, all the glorious truths of the New Testament, right? The scriptures are the eternal record of what Jesus promised to them that night before he was crucified. There are things you can't bear tonight, but you will learn them, and then bam, they're written down for us. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so, undoubtedly, Jesus could have told his men all the doctrines that are set forth in Scripture that night. He could have. Look at what the verses ahead say. He, 
The Holy Spirit will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus Christ is wisdom from God. He could have laid open all the stores of wisdom and truth to those men that night, but that night they could not take more than they had received. They couldn't do it. Jesus knew it. They could not bear any more weight. So that night, they were left, in a sense, ignorant of the many things that we know from what they wrote down and learned later. When Jesus appeared to them, he would open their minds to understand Scripture, and in subsequent time, when he was not with them, the Holy Spirit would fill those regenerate minds with revelation which was written down for us who hang all our hopes on those writings thousands of years after they were inspired. A couple further points. One, note that Jesus didn't give the apostles understanding and everything all at once. Ryle says, do we not see that there are steps and degrees in Christian attainment? A man may be a good man, and yet not be able to endure the whole truth. We must teach people as they are able to bear and be patient. We have to teach people as they can bear truths, right? In other words, there are doctrines that some Christians need time to come to terms with, right? There are some doctrines that that take some time to sink in. Now, do you get impatient with people who do not have an eschatology that works all the way down to how they put their pants on in the morning? You know, some of you want to want that eschatology to be quickly adopted and understood, even though it's the doctrine of the last times and God has only revealed so much about what is to come, Right? Do you get impatient with people who, who uh, do not have a developed idea of biblical masculinity and femininity, right? They've been saturated in a feminist culture, and suddenly, in, in a half hour, we want them to be like, you know, reorienting their marriage to patriarchal patterns, and it doesn't usually come that quickly. Do you get impatient with people who get confused when it comes to God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? That simple conjunction of things, right? Even the men who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith on the topic of predestination spoke of handling that specific doctrine with special prudence and care, right? They're like, you got to, you know, you can't just mm, force this down people's throats. This one has to be handled with special prudence and care, even though it's clearly biblical doctrine. It is truth, right? But there are things people can bear and people can't bear. They knew, the Westminster divines knew there were some things in Scripture which are hard to understand, which is what Scripture says about Scripture. And Scripture teaches us that not many should become teachers, which at the very least implies that some will be teachers and some will not. And those that do not get the call to teach might not get there, not because they are not intelligent 
or articulate enough to teach, but rather because they do not have the proper patience with those who can't bear certain doctrines at certain times, right? I mean, there, there's some, some who are in the pastorate, and every pastor makes this error and gets ahead of himself, right? Who demands that, you know, you have an instant understanding of something that is like turning your life upside down. But, but Scripture exhorts those who teach to be patient with everybody. There are things that are hard to understand. There are things to, hard to come to grips with. There, there are things that are hard to live. Of the Corinthians, the apostle Paul says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Well, Paul, I mean, come on, you held back truth. You held back truth from the Corinthians. Well, the Corinthians needed to, like, not support incest. You know, they needed milk. That's milk. They needed milk. And so he goes on to say that this is because they are fleshly. He nevertheless regulated the way in which he taught them according to what they could bear. Now, of course, it is one thing to strain to understand a certain doctrine, and it is quite another thing to resist a doctrine that is well understood, right? We can strain to understand hard things, but often what pastors and elders are dealing with is somebody who knows exactly what Scripture says and just will not follow it, okay? In Hebrews, we read this lament. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again of someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. That's Hebrews 5 and into the beginning of chapter 6. In other words, sometimes we need milk because we have not worked to train our senses to discern good and evil. And so we need milk. We simply need milk. And when that becomes endemic, right, when that, that immaturity becomes endemic or widespread in a church, well, then you fall into the situation that Paul writes Timothy about. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove Rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to stories, myths. So what's an application I'd bring out of this? The goal we should all have is to press on toward maturity, right? We should not allow ourselves not to learn the doctrines of the Word of God, nor should we desire for others to remain ignorant 
But dear brothers and sisters, there is patience we must exercise toward others when they are genuinely struggling to come to an understanding of Scripture. Some may be saved who believe they chose God. Some may be saved who believe their wills are autonomous from God's will. Some may be saved who believe there is a rapture of the secret variety. Right? Some may be saved who believe instruments are forbidden in worship. Some may be saved who think that what they eat commends them to God. And some may be saved who are immature, which, dear brothers and sisters, do I really need to say this? Um, Isn't that each of us, in some area or another, immature? We're all called to press on to maturity, right? There are churches, there are some churches that have such high standards for membership that the Apostle Peter would be excluded. And yes, of course, there are some churches that have such low standards for membership, demons would be welcome to the table. But there will always be the immature and untaught in our midst, and there are things that must be known and other things that cannot be known. The goal is maturity. And we see it in Jesus not giving the apostles on that night more than they can bear. It's an example of patience and the process of maturity. Right? It's helpful. That should be helpful to us, right? That should be helpful to us as we consider our children and their immaturity. It's going to take time. They're learning as much as they can, right? And so it's going to take time with all of our kids before they grow into maturity. And they're trying to work through all of your hypocrisy as they're learning, which is really hard for them. Very difficult. One last thing. Immaturity in the church ought to be tolerated. But if someone who is immature becomes divisive, he ought not to be tolerated. Okay? Such a person is to be rejected after a first and second warning, as it says in the book of Titus. If if you make a giant principle out of your immaturity and lack of understanding, and it begins to divide the church, the elders will tell you to stop, okay? But if you are immature, and we all are to some extent, and are teachable, well then, let's, let's grow up together. Let's, let's work on this. Let's, let's grow. Let's pursue our sanctification. Now, um, I suppose one last thing we could take out of this would be to be both patient with the immature and realize that you at times are immature. We all are, so be teachable. You've not yet arrived. If the apostles who spent three years with the Lord had need yet of illumination and teaching and rebuke like that of Peter by Paul, we really need teaching. We really need to be teachable. Second, the Holy Spirit still illumines minds today to give them an understanding of Scripture. 
There is no true discerning of the truth of Scripture until the Spirit illumines the mind. You might be the most eloquent witness to the Lord Jesus Christ since Apollos, but your exposition of Scripture will not be received or even believed or trusted in by anyone who lacks the Holy Spirit. Oh, they, they you know, that person may know things about God. They may have, uh, you know, a witness to the existence of God when they uh, look on a beautiful sunrise, but that knowledge is suppressed by them in unrighteousness. But a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is only given to those who have the Holy Spirit illumining their minds. You can't reason your way to heaven. You can't. You can't solve equations that lay out a path to heaven. You can't use imagination and creativity to enter the Holy of Holies. You can't come up with a system of fasting and harsh treatment of the body that qualifies you to unlock the door of Christ's household. You can't claim you're a citizen of heaven because you are related to a citizen of heaven. There is no knowledge of God away from the working of the Holy Spirit. Look at our text. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, takes from what is the Father's. The Spirit takes from what is Christ's and gives it to whomever he wishes. Whomever he wishes. Remember what Jesus said years earlier in his testimony to Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You must be born of God. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the only hope you have of understanding the inspired Word of God. The Holy Spirit must be present for you to understand spiritual things. It's really very simple. It's very simple. The Apostle Paul explains this in his letter to the Corinthians. He teaches them that it is not because they are strong or powerful, well-connected, that their nobility, that, you know, that they have come to know God. It's not those things. It's solely by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, or passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, listen to this, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And... He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Now, what should we take away from this? You're not going to understand Scripture unless you have the Spirit. What, what do we take away from this? The Holy Spirit is still working today. The Holy Spirit is active today, and He discloses to His children the things freely given to us by God, i.e., the atoning death of His Son. If you have experienced this, if you have experienced the illumination of the Spirit, you will know you have experienced the illumination of the Spirit. You'll know it. You'll know it. The scriptures will go from just something that makes you angry and confused and that you think are just the words of man. And then in a moment, you're like worshiping God and weeping as you read it. And you have understanding and you know what it means and what it says. And yes, there are hard things that you got to learn. But fundamentally, you know Jesus Christ. And the Spirit has opened up your mind and your heart and your eyes, and you know it. Jeremy Pierce and I were talking this week, and although we have wildly different backgrounds, you know, I could come up with a list and you would say, those are wildly different backgrounds. We have this in common. The Spirit opened our eyes to the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Spirit. One day, we didn't know it. The next day, we knew it. (laughs) It was stupendous. I think the same thing happens to covenant children. They have to, they, they have always been in the church. It's very hard for them to get to this point, but they have to like... At some point, they have to be just like, oh, my sin. Ah. And look to Jesus Christ. One day, I was confused about everything. The next day, I had perfect clarity about one thing. Jesus Christ was the Son of God who died for my sins. Who rose again. And Jeremy and I began at those points to to confess with our mouths that that was our only hope. And then, you know, all the crazy responses. Scripture went from ink on a page to inspired and eternal truths. The Spirit works, dear brothers and sisters. The Spirit works. The Spirit works. The Spirit is working now, even in His preached Word today, in this place. The Spirit works, right? So all those people who right now don't understand, you don't have to convince them 
by becoming a PhD apologist. You have to pray that the Spirit will work. Right? All your hard-hearted family members that you grieve over, pray that the Spirit works. Pray and pray and pray that the Spirit works. The Spirit works today. You know it because you have experienced it if you are in Christ Jesus, right? You know it because you've experienced it. You know it's deep in your heart. So take heart in this as long as you see others around you um, believe in Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation. He, the Spirit, still blows about where he pleases. And as our passage says, he the Spirit will glorify Christ and reveal Him. That is how the Father receives glory, when His Son receives glory, which comes when faith is worked in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit. Right? And that person, that person that receives that illumination for the first time will cry out before God with a genuine heart of joy, Abba, Father. My Lord and my God, my joy, my pearl of great price, the one for whom the rest of my life will be, I will be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens. And many of you have experienced it, and many of you desire so deeply for others to experience it, and the Holy Spirit is still working. So pray, don't give the Lord rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Right? Don't give him rest. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we do thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. What glory that the Holy Spirit abides and lives within your people. Father, we do think of those who, who are wavering, who don't know what your scripture says, who every time they get to it, it's, it's obtuse and it rubs them the wrong way and it, it enrages them. Lord, quench this, their natural man by the Spirit. Overwhelm them. Put to death that old man and give them life by your Spirit. And Father, I pray that all of us who do have the Spirit, that we would press on to maturity. Father, that we would ask that the Spirit would give us an understanding and, and a memory and growth and a knowledge of your Word. And that we would be able to then use that sword of the Spirit. Because you use means, the Spirit uses means to draw men to his Son. And so, Father, we, we ask that you would mature us and strengthen us and give us a deep knowledge of your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We praise the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We come now to the Lord's table. It's a happy thing to come to the Lord's table. It's a glorious thing to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to remember the shed blood, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, dear brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ is a propitiation? That his blood propitiates the Father? Do you know what that means? That means that not only are your sins pardoned, but God looks favorably upon you. God takes delight in you. God takes joy in you. Because you've been made righteous in Jesus Christ. And that is a joyful thing. We come to this table. There are requirements that are laid out in Scripture for this table. You have to be baptized. You have to be one of those covenant members of the church. You have to be baptized. You have to uh, be a member in good standing of an evangelical and Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be this church, but it has to be a church where uh, they hold you accountable and the elders actually shepherd you, right? And then you have to have done some work this week or in previous weeks to that it's work that you sh you're probably quite familiar with. It's work that maybe you do every day, and that is examining yourself to see if there is any sin in you that you just love more than you love Jesus. It's the sins that you won't give up that would forbid you from coming to this table, right? But it's not the sins that you hate that would keep you from coming to this table. That's what you should do with all your sins. Hate them and come to the table. And so this table isn't for those who are sinlessly perfect. Not at all. That would exclude every one of us. But it's for those who are sorry for their sins, whose sins on some level disgust them. But if you love your sins, if there's that one sin you're thinking of right now that you simply will not give up, don't come to this table right now. Get to work repenting over that one particular sin and then come to the table after that, after you have repented and come to begin the process of hating that sin. So here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we glorify your name. We thank you that you have drawn us into your kingdom and you have called us to this fellowship meal where we feast spiritually and by faith 
on the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would bless us through this meal. I pray that our hearts would burn with love for Jesus Christ and for his propitiation, for his his atoning sacrifice, for his substitution, for his dying for my sins. And Lord, that we would rejoice that in Jesus Christ we have the forgiveness of all of our sins. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.